Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so it's great to be together this morning. Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm privileged to be a part of the teaching team at Damascus Road Church. So, everybody doing all right? Enjoying the end of summer here? School start yesterday. What is it? Just like there's no summer left in this country. What is this? That's not American. We just, my family and I, we had a little window this past week where we uh, we decided to slip away one last time before before school started. And I kid you not, uh, we were planning to leave on uh, last Monday night. We were gonna kind of fly by night, right, and uh, make a quick getaway. And Monday morning, Tracy's shaking her head. <laughs> Last Monday morning, we still hadn't decided where we were going. Emma and I are just like, man, where should we go? Should we go west? I grew up in Texas, which I feel like I have to like, communicate every time I stand up front. I'm actually a Texan. Uh, so like the western part of the country is far more comfortable for me. And we started looking at going east. So we're going to like drive somewhere and backpack, okay? Backpack and camp. Monday morning, we're still like, man, where should we go? I don't know. We like, got this list of places. So this is crazy. And... Um, Later on that day, we were finally like, you know what, let's go, what about the Adirondacks, mountains in New York? Let's just, let's go out there. Yeah, 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 and then we could stop at Niagara on the way, and, um, and, and we didn't tell our kids any of this, like where we were going until, so we drove, we crossed the Canadian border, and the border guard's like, where are you going? I'm like, oh, we're going to Niagara, and then up over here, and the kids are like, what? You're not supposed to tell. So I ruined the, the, the surprise at the border crossing. And we uh, drive into New York, and then, um, and then as we're headed back home, and realize, like, you know, it's the same amount of time for us to drive through New York City. So who goes to New York, and does it go to New York City? So we go from, like, wilderness, we're out, like, sleeping in a lean-to out in the mountains, um, to that night walking in Times Square, just, like, like, overwhelmed. We had our dog with us, and he's just, like, losing his mind, smelling everything. <laughs> And uh, I wish I would have brought this photo. So, uh, and we took, a, we took a ride on the, on the subway and uh, did a little research. We weren't sure if we could bring our dog. You know, we didn't think he could pass, like, as a therapy dog or whatever. He's not that therapeutic anyway. <laughs> and so we read, if, if your dog is contained within an appropriate container where it's not harassing or bothering any other passengers, you're fine. So I, saw, I did some research online and saw some people with, like, leg holes cut out of Ikea bags. Like, they're walking their dog, like, in a blue bag. So I had this big duffel bag and just slipped him in there, and he's just cruising. And so we, that was, a, that was a, his uh, container. So you can take your pet on the New York subway as long as it's contained within something, okay, just for future reference. So noted, good. So, yeah, we, we made a little getaway uh, out to New York State. Our kids still, we think, love us. <laughs> Everybody's still, like... In one piece, uh, we had a really good time. It's my first time um, going to New, New York's considered New England, right? No. Is it not? <laughs> what? Did anybody else not know that? You, Kyle, was it, is it really not? Okay, whatever. Uh, I trust you. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's my first time out there, and it's cool to see, you know, little towns founded in the 16, 1700s or whatever, uh, 
people a little bit more rude, I'll just say, but that's okay. I'm used to a little more indirectness down in the south, but or Midwest niceness, kind of like undercover, undercover cruelty, but that's my, my preference. All right, so you guys, we're on a journey together as a church, so we point, if we try to kind of like sift through and, and discern what's the Father doing within this community? What's God doing within Damascus Road Church? And really, like, that's what discernment boils down to, right? If we use that word discernment, boils down to, Father, what are you doing? And Jesus talked about that. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I, see the, what I hear the Father saying. And that's like, we boil down discernment into a little, very simple idea. It's that we, and, and Scripture says that we've been given the mind of Christ, right? And so, um, God has, and, and Jesus, you know, go deeper. Jesus even says, I share, I, I'm basically like, I, sh- I share my plans with you. I'm going to share with you what I'm doing. You're no longer just servants, but you're friends. You're peers with me, and I'm going to share with you what I'm doing so that, and then he invites us to co-labor and cooperate, whether it's out in our community, in our family, or in our own lives, to be able to discern what's the Father doing in my life, what's, and how's the Spirit equipping me to cooperate and come, and, and come alongside what he's doing, okay? So we have an active part in what God is doing. In some crazy way, God invites us to participate, to be co-laborers, to be co-participants with him in the work that he's doing in our community, in our family, in our church, even in our own lives, right? So growing in discernment, what's the Father doing? We're on this journey together of just focusing in and growing in our identity and our efforts in being disciples who make disciples. Like, if, if this is like coming from my heart. This is what I want us, this is what I long for for us. This is what I've been praying for this week, just leading up to today and beyond, is that we would just more wholeheartedly live as disciples who make disciples. And what do disciples do? They do what the Father's doing, right? Follow Jesus wholeheartedly with our whole lives. Can you throw up that photo, Dave? Um, this is, I, I love a good Christian meme from time to time. Um, this is really dumb, but I thought it was kind of funny. No, I'm not talking about Twitter. I literally want you to follow me, Jesus says to a guy on a park bench. So literally, literally, like, this, and this is, this is what I've been praying, like, that literally, we would follow Jesus. We would follow Jesus and that we would become more known and, and um, we would identify that as our, pri- what's your, what do you do at Damascus Road Church? Well, I'm a disciple who makes disciples. We're all disciples, right? We're a discipling community. Well, you might not feel like we are that right now, but that's where we want to go, where we're discipling one another, meaning we're helping one another grow in our knowledge of what's the Father doing and what's your part. I'm on a discipleship journey of literally following Jesus. As I've been praying this, the, the idea that just like, that, that popped into my head and it just stuck is this idea of resonance, okay? This is where everybody falls asleep. Resonance. I, okay, I'm not a physicist. Um, I'm going to give you like... Uh, a, a terrible Cliff Notes version of resonance, okay? So, um, 
the, my, my prayer in this is that God's words and his work would resonate in our hearts and minds. That we would be attuned to his words, to his voice, to his work. And um, that we would not only hear, not only be exposed to that sound, to that noise, but we would be attuned to it and, and it would move us. Okay, so this idea of resonance, you can throw that, that video up, just a little clip. Maybe you've seen this before. So resonance is basically one object vibrating at the resonant frequency of another object. Okay, so there's, there's vibration that's coming up, in this case, onto that surface. And that surface, any material has a resonant frequency at which it will vibrate. So if, you're, if a car is driving by your house and a piece of furniture starts vibrating, that car is emitting vibrations at the same, at the resonant frequency that makes that piece of furniture vibrate. Okay, so that, that vibration matches up with the resonant frequency and makes it move. Okay, does that make sense or not? It's okay if it doesn't. Uh, so... This is my prayer for us, that we would, like our resonant frequency, that we would be attuned to the movement of the Father, of the Spirit, of Jesus in our hearts, that we would be tuned in and that it would move us, okay? That, that the words and the work of God, would, that we would be attuned to it and that it would move us, not just that we would hear it, see, because it's possible for that sound to pass by. It's possible to um, hear something and not listen. Does that make sense? It's possible to hear some noise, and our brains are kind of programmed to filter out. Because if we, if we lost that kind of filtration, then every noise is coming at us, and everything's meaningful, and nothing's me- Like, it just drives you nuts, right? When you're li- trying to listen for, and you've got five kids, and they're all talking to you at once, and you're just like, ah. A glimpse into my life. Time out, one at a time. Get in line. <laughs> Number one. Um, but, when, but when we... See, there, there's a difference in listening or hearing. There's a difference in hearing and, say, hearing with understanding. And Scripture makes that distinction, maybe not, complete, not, maybe not clearly at all times in English, but there's a distinction in hearing and hearing with understanding or hearing and hearing in a way that moves you. Hearing and responding. Listening. So this is my prayer that we would grow and we would be attuned that the resonant frequency of our hearts would be attuned to the words of the Father to us. Romans 5.5 says that the Spirit pours forth the love of the Father in our hearts. That our, that our minds and our hearts would be attuned to that. So as it's pouring forth, it doesn't say it, the Spirit poured forth or the Spirit will pour forth. The Spirit pours forth with ongoing effect, constantly pouring forth the love of the Father in our hearts. The question is, are we catching it? Does it move us? Does it fill us? Does it change us? Does it impact our choices? Okay? So this is my prayer, that we would grow in our being tuned in to the Father, that we would grow, in other words, as disciples, to hear the words of the Father, the work of the Spirit, the example of Jesus, to hear and obey. To hear and obey. And we 
So we're, when, when, we're, when we're not tuned in, the Lord, the Spirit works in us, right, to bring the renewal, to transform us, as Romans says, by the, to transform us by the renewal of our mind. Tuning us in, tuning us in by the renewal of our mind, by setting us free from bondage. There are things that bind us and keep us back from being moved by the words and the work of the Father, okay? And only the Spirit can intervene, oftentimes through those around us, through prayer, that we would be set free, right? Scripture says if we confess our sins to one another, God is faithful not to forgive, to heal. Forgiveness is like a part of that, right? Like forgiveness is ours. But God goes so much. God's in the business of healing. Forgiveness is like a part of the journey, right? Like we're right with him. He wants us to be whole. That we, uh, another thing I want to mention is that, and we'll come back to this kind of at the end. We're going to dive into a a parable that Jesus uh, spoke and another really important way that we grow in being tuned in to the Spirit is by practice, right? Just by responding to the last thing that you heard. What's the last thing that the Lord put conviction in your heart to do? Or, or the way that the Lord put conviction in your heart to be? What's the equipping that, that the Spirit was pouring forth the love of the Father and saying, you can do this, let's do it. And you were like, nah. What, and it's important to go back to that. Say, Father, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready, let's do this. And as we practice, and see, I like this with my kids, right? Where Let's say I, I want to talk to them about, this is not a perfect parallel, but hang with me. I want to talk to my kids about, um, let's say I ask them to do something. It's really important that you take out the garbage. That's an important thing, right? Take out the garbage. And they're like, nah. And the garbage is still sitting there. And then, say it's my son. And, then, and he walks up to me and he's like, hey, guess what? Did you know that, um, what's something he would talk to me about? Did you know this random information about black holes? And did you know that they, I'm like, buddy, that's cool. But we got to talk about this. You haven't responded to the last thing that I asked you to do. You with me? Like, you, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just, like, skip past. I want to hear him. I want to, like, I want to, I want him to know that, like, I'm, I'm welcoming him. I love him. But we got to go back to the last thing. There's a reason I asked you to do this. This is important, okay, for the health of your family, for your health, for all of us, that this waste be out of our home, right? There's a reason that the Lord put that conviction in your heart to do that thing or be that, that, that kind of person, whatever it might be, right? And so it's important for us also as we, as we practice and continue to go back, we become more attuned to words of the Father, the work of the Spirit within us. So I wanted to share all that kind of up front. That's how I've been praying for us, okay? And it does relate to uh, the passage that we're going to break down a little bit here now, and, and we'll come back to some of these same ideas, okay? All right, so we're going to look this morning at a parable. So we're, we're looking at parables throughout, uh, throughout the summer. The idea here is that we're talking about following Jesus. We're talking about living as disciples, so we want to look at some of the things that Jesus said, 
right? Jesus said, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, okay? So what are some of the things he's commanded? What are some of the things that he said? So that's the idea here. So we're going to continue looking at the parable of the two sons in Matthew chapter 21. First off, as we move ahead, I just want to to take a moment and pray together that the Lord would open our hearts to his word, that we would be tuned in to the things that he wants to say to us, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are at work. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're pouring forth your love into our hearts, the love of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us into the family, and you have you've led us to the Father. You're leading us to the Father continually. Pray that you would open up our hearts, help us to be attuned to you and the things that you want to do and say this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to back up a little bit before diving into just, just these few verses that we're focusing on for this parable. Um, <clears throat> we're going to look, like I said, in the book of Matthew, but I want to back up a little bit and kind of give some overview of Matthew. And something that I want to be faithful in, at least reaching for, is that we're not just getting, like, sermons and teaching on Sunday mornings, but you're being equipped also to study and engage with Scripture, okay? We want you to be able to to take Scripture and study it and dig in for yourself, okay? Not just get some delivery, not just Sunday morning like it's a delivery mechanism, okay? Sunday morning is to encourage us, to help us to celebrate, to provide some direction in teaching, a place for us to seek the Lord together, okay? But it's just a part of our our walk with Jesus. So one idea I want to throw out to you is that it's sometimes very difficult to know what Scripture is saying to us unless we are are keeping our eyes on and being open to what the whole story is about. Okay? So if we're not, in other words, if we're not really aware of what the whole story is about, it's often hard to know what Scripture is saying in one particular place. Okay? It's hard to know what it's about. It's hard to know what, what, what Scripture's saying unless we know what it's about, okay? And I don't, I'm not saying that to discourage, but just to point at, it's important for us to kind of look at the broader context and to know that everything contained within this is a part of a story, okay? It's not a bunch of individual chapters and books. There's a story in which, from the beginning, God is on a mission to redeem and reclaim his family. He's on a mission to redeem and reclaim his family in every step of the way, every prophetic voice, every commandment, every um, action of Jesus is to reclaim and restore the family that God designed to be his, And then in the end, what we see is full reconciliation and renewal. So we're on this journey, too. Like, we we get to plug into this, and we're a part of this this mission now to reclaim family. And so here comes Matthew, okay? So Jesus comes on the scene. God's people have been in the midst of 400 years of silence since Micah in the Old Testament. Malachi, sorry. And... um, So it's been quiet. God hasn't been speaking to his people. He hasn't been tangibly moving, leading them until Jesus comes on the scene 
in Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Okay, so Matthew, what he's doing with, with, his, uh, with, this, with this letter that he's written is to show a Jew, Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah King. He's the one they've been waiting for. Okay, so from the beginning, Matthew's doing that. So he starts off in the beginning in the first few chapters showing that Jesus fits into the lineage of David. He's like a new Moses. He's giving commandments and leading his people. Then following that, in the next few chapters, Jesus is announcing the kingdom. Okay? And he's demonstrating it as God's re- the kingdom is God's rescue plan for humanity and all of creation. He gives the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching what life in the kingdom is like. The poor in spirit are the ones who will inherit the kingdom, right? So he's, te- he's, he's demonstrating, he's, he's communicating the kingdom, showing what the kingdom looks like, and he's showing what life in the kingdom looks like as he lives his life. Then he starts impacting other people's lives in chapters 8 through 10. So again, you have the Messiah king who's establishing kingdom, but the kingdom's different, and this is a theme all throughout Matthew. These competing ideas of what the kingdom of God looks like, okay? So traditionally, Jews were expecting a Messiah who was going to have a sword in hand and set them free from the oppressors, okay? From the colonial oppressors and would give them political freedom. Jesus comes along and demonstrates a very different kingdom that's about the poor in spirit, that's about suffering. It's upside down from everything that they expected. So Jesus calls the 12 and he starts demonstrating to them and equipping and sending them out, okay? He starts healing people, healing lepers, healing the blind, healing the centurion servant, one after the other after the other. He's healing. He's demonstrating the kingdom and how it looks when it when it collides with a person's life, okay? He's bringing healing. Then carrying on from there, Matthew shows that there's a few different responses to Jesus. Some people are positive and they're like, yeah, this guy is the best. We love him. Let's, let's follow him through the countryside. Some people are like, eh, is he the Messiah? I don't know. And some people are like, we got to kill this guy because he's disrupting our order here. So continuing, Jesus is drawing the crowds together and feeds the 5,000. The 5,000 outcasts, sheep without a shepherd, what do you think the sheep without a shepherd think when suddenly one guy feeds 5,000 of them plus kids? What do you think is going through their mind? What do you think they think about Jesus? He's probably Messiah, right? Like pretty good candidate to be the Messiah. Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And, and Jesus says, No man has revealed this to you. This is revealed to you by the Father. You're right. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were not really into the way that Jesus was leading. They were looking again for political freedom. But Jesus is saying, nope, my kingdom is about the way you win honor is by serving. The the way to live is by forgiveness and not through revenge. True wealth is gained by giving not through oppressing others. So that leads us up to Matthew chapter 21, okay? So you with me? That's the, that's the big picture. Matthew's building a picture, building a case for Jews. 
that Jesus is the Messiah. And then and there's these competing views. And suddenly in chapter 1, this all, chapter 21, this all erupts, this conflict of kingdoms. This conflict of perspectives of the kingdom. So the beginning of, so I'm going to run through chapter 21 and then we'll get to our story here, okay? So the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus finally comes on the scene and asserts his authority. He's coming out, he's coming out and he's saying, I am the king. So first of all, he sends the disciples out, they grab a, a colt and he rides it into the city and people are calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. This fulfilled prophetic utterance from the past, there was symbolism here showing that Jesus was the Messiah King, okay? So people are, people are gathered around, people are yelling, Hosanna, which means save, save. Well, Pharisees are not happy with this, but Jesus enters, uh, verses 1 through 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now this is pretty wild. It says uh, in, in verse 10 that the whole city was stirred. Can you imagine I don't know if you've thought about it in this way. Just think about, think about this picture. Jesus is entering the city, and the whole city is stirred by his entry. Okay, so you've, some, some of you have been around church for a while. You've probably seen like an Easter play, you know, and people are waving palm branches that are imported from who knows where around here and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, and Jesus comes in. But the whole city, there's like full-scale riot. People are like... I grew up in a small town in West Texas. When there was a football game on Friday nights, everything shut down, okay? Stores are empty. There are, there's one set of lights on in town, and you just follow the lights, and that's how you find the football stadium, you know? That's, so it's kind of like this, like in the story, like everything is shut down. The whole city is stirred. Everybody's gathering around to see what's going on here. Jesus enters the temple, the place where God's presence dwells, the place of presence with the people, the place of the presence of God with the people, and he exerts his authority and says, I own this place. And he starts driving people out. Okay? You got money changers. You got people selling and buying and selling. Jesus comes in and starts throwing over tables, starts kicking people out, it says he did not allow anyone to carry anything through. Okay, so he's like taking dominion. Jesus comes in like he owns the place because he does. And he says, you, this is meant to be <coughs> a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. That passage actually says it's meant to be a house of prayer for the nations, for all people. In other words, and you've turned it into an exclusive club. There was lots of extortion going on. People were being charged exorbitant amounts to be able to bring the sacrifices that they needed to be able to enter properly enter the temple. In other words, people couldn't afford to come into God's presence. It had been, you ever felt like that before? Like some people excluded you from church or from being a part of being a Christian, something like that? Really pisses Jesus off really does. Like, that's an understatement. He's, Jesus is going to town. And this is meaningful, again, as Matthew's is to a Jewish audience, this is super meaningful. In other words, Jesus is showing, I have authority over this place. This place where God's presence is meant to be accessible to all people through the temple, 
I have authority and I'm taking over. I'm cleansing it. I'm reclaiming it. So <laughs> the other thing that happens is that, you know, the whole city's been stirred, right? So everybody's watching Jesus. And it says in verse 14 and 15 that all the outcasts came to him in the temple. I want to read this because I love, there's a couple of prepositions here that are pretty important. Verse 14 and 15 says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So again, you've got this place that's very like, it's very proper. It's usually very orderly, very quiet. You've got like the right people who are there who know how to dress, who know how to smell, who know really like how, how to appear. They know all the etiquette. They know the culture around the temple. In Jesus' temple, there's no culture. It's just healing, right? And Jesus said, and it, and it says, and the people... Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. They came to him. They didn't just come to the temple. They came to him in the temple. Imagine they're probably a little bit like apprehensive about entering into this space. And not only that, he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, in other words, they were full of wonder, the things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. Imagine you got this orderly, tidy place, and kids are running around. You ever, parents, you know what it's like when your kids are running around, and you feel like it's a place where they're supposed to be quiet? And they're climbing on furniture, and you're just like, ah, oh, geez, no, no, not in the art museum. Just, no, don't, no, uh, don't do that. It's like that, right? But Jesus is like, yes, bring it. The kids are running wild, yelling, save us, Jesus, son of David, save, save. And the, the religious elite, they're angry about it. You hear what they're saying? And he says, yes. Have you never read? Has it never moved you when you've seen the words? Has, your, has the resonant frequency of your heart not been set on the words of the prophet when he says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, have you pr you've prepared praise? Okay, he goes out of the city. The next day, he comes back. On the way into town, there's a fig tree. Jesus cursed the fig tree because there's no fruit on it, which is, again, significant symbolism. Not bearing fruit. And Jesus goes into the temple. Well, the, the religious leaders start asking him questions. They say, whose authority are you doing these things by? So they can't discount the things that he's doing, but they're trying to say, who, who, whose authority are you doing this by? And so Jesus turns it on them, as he often does, and he answers the question with a question. He says, well, whose authority did John the Baptist operate in? They turn around, and they kind of huddle together, like, oh, man, can't answer this, because all the people love John the Baptist. They all responded to him. Uh, we don't know. And he says, and I'm not going to tell you. How do you like that? So that leads us up to the parable that we're going to look at. Notice this, that the way that Jesus rolls, he begins and ends with questions. So verse 28, parable of the two sons. What do you think? Starts with a question. 
Can you imagine Jesus asking you that? What do you think? I had a doctor ask me that one in a certain, <laughs> in a certain country where with lacking like medical infrastructure. He said, well, what do you think? And I was like, are you kidding me? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard when? Today. He's not asking, okay? He's saying, go work in the vineyard today. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Jesus wraps up with another question. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Remember, they asked him about John the Baptist. And he's coming full circle. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. You did not adjust your lives according to his message. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed. And when, he, and when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Now, something I want to get straight up front is that I, what, something that we've got, a misconception or myth that we've got to get out of our minds is that Jesus is only angry at the Pharisees and he hates them and he's just telling these stories to kind of stump them so that they'll, like, not respond, right? Jesus loves these people, okay? Think about the parable of the prodigal son. It's really the prodigal, it's a, it's a story of a father, right? Because there are actually two sons, and again, it's a mixed audience. Think about the audience he's speaking to here, the religious leaders and the outcasts, okay? And Jesus is so amazing that he speaks to all of these people at once in one story. Same thing with the parable of the prodigal son or the loving, waiting, forgiving, patient father, rather. And the first son goes away, squanders all of his inheritance and comes back and begs for forgiveness. The father accepts it, not just accepts it. He doesn't just forgive him, he heals him, right? You with me? He says, this is your identity. This is your work with me. You're a part of this family. They throw a big party. The older son comes in from the field and he's angry. What's this party about? What's going on here? And it says, the father came out to plead with him. This is how Jesus tells the story. The father came out to plead with the older son. Now, again, in the, we're, in, we're talking about a cultural context where the father is the most powerful figure, right? And the father doesn't just ask. He says, go work today, right? The father comes out. First of all, the father runs, which is a total um, humiliation, you know, for a respected man in this context. And he comes out of the party to plead with his older son. So what I'm trying to say is that Jesus is reaching out to these people, right? He's reaching out. He's saying, you didn't respond to John the Baptist. These guys are entering in ahead of you, and you didn't let them teach you. You didn't let them instruct you. You're too proud. What do you think? Which one of these did what his father wanted? 
What do you think? Which one did what the father wanted? So, what, so something that Jesus is doing, he's speaking to his audience, okay? We weren't there, okay? Um, he's speaking to, the, this is written to the audience, so we need to understand kind of what was being said and what was being understood as much as possible to really glean from the story. Uh, he's demonstrating some things about the kingdom, and he's also demonstrating things about the audience that he's speaking to. The thing is that we can also identify with some things in this audience, Right? And certainly, we can learn about the kingdom. Now, just following this, Jesus tells another story about uh, a landowner who has some tenants who are working the land, and he sends his servant to go and take his rightful, his, his rent, the, his part of the harvest. And they, they beat his servants. Eventually, he sends his son. They kill his son. And uh, Jesus asks, well, how is the, how's the landowner going to respond? How's the master going to respond? Oh, he's going to kick those wretches off the land. That's what the religious leaders answer. And Jesus responds to them then. And he says, he says, building some, uh, yeah, wait for it. There we go. All right, verse 44. All right, so they, I'll back up a little bit, verse 40. Let's see. They said to him, he will put these wretches to a miserable death. And that was their response. And let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read, have you never been impacted by the scripture, moved by it? It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them, very perceptive. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. All right. So the challenge here, I think, with like with looking into parables and the things that Jesus said is like to keep our eyes on kind of on the big story, right? And not just jump to, oh, Jesus told this guy he needs to sell everything, therefore I need to go sell everything. Like, it doesn't quite work that way, right? Like, we need to understand as much as possible kind of what the story is and what the story's about so we can know more of what it's saying and what it's saying to us. Now, so I want to keep, I want to be faithful as much as possible to draw out the, the purpose of Matthew as to the audience he's writing to, but also understand that there are things within this that impact our lives, Okay? There are things within this that are for us. So on the, in the context, Jesus is speaking to the two crowds, to the religious leaders and to the outcast. What hindered the religious leaders? Why was it so hard for them? Why were they so fixed and not able to be moved by the words and the work of Jesus? 
What about the outcasts? What was, what was different about those guys? Why was, it, why was it different for them? It wasn't, it wasn't about knowledge, right? Like intellectual. It wasn't about like intellectual capacity or education or social status or class or whatever, right? Like there was, there was something deeper going on. Jesus talks about the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit that the, the Pharisees were bearing, like this frenzied activity to try to appease God or control God. Okay, so appease as in like, well, God is pretty mean and we got to treat him like other gods and, and do these things and follow these formulas so that God will be nice to us, so that God will be good. If I follow these things and these codes, then God will do the right thing. And if I pray the certain kind of prayer and I beg God, God, will you just be nice today? Will you bless my work? Will you bless this? Will you, just, will you do that, God? Or on the other hand, if I follow these rules, I know that I can predict this result from God. Like So trying to appease him or control him, right? Now, the outcasts, on the other hand, there was like intimate encounter with Jesus that led to change, right? So there was still like life activity there was still something happening in their lives, but it was from a place of intimacy. It was from a place of invitation and welcoming into the family that Jesus is restoring. The kingdom of God, so there's a couple of important things I want to point out for this. The Jesus, something that I see Jesus pointing out here is that the kingdom of God is not about position. It's about direction. It's not about where you stand, it's about where you're going. See, the Pharisees wanted to paint these pictures, this bounded picture, uh, to, to be able to understand who's in and out. We need these criteria. You guys, we do this. We need these criteria to know who's in and out. How do they dress? What do they say? What's, we look for all these superficial things, right? To try to gauge, because the bottom line is we need to know where we're at. I need something to measure myself by, Right? And so we're continually eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and gaining a, a, full, a, a fulfillment of our appetite by our ability to point out good and evil in other people's lives. Rather than eating from the tree of life and saying, Lord, you're enough. I don't need anything else to measure by. I don't need a way to know who's in and out. All I know is that I'm running toward Jesus. Where are you going? Right? So you got the prostitute who's a mile away, but inching toward Jesus, and he's like, welcome. And you get the Pharisee, maybe, who's, who's maybe on a scale, on a grid closer, but he's fixed. Or maybe he's moving away. And Jesus is like, you're losing the kingdom to this prostitute, to this crack addict. You're losing the kingdom to this lady, to this guy, this woman walking out of the abortion clinic who's broken. You're losing the kingdom to her. She's running ahead of you because she's responding and you're not letting her be instructive to you and move. Right? The kingdom of God is not about position. It's about direction. It's about trajectory. The kingdom of God, the fruit that Jesus said, the fruit of the kingdom is about being moved by is being receptive to his voice and being moved by it. 
having, being able, being his words resonating with us in a way that bears the fruit of justice and mercy and healing and reconciliation from our lives. So you guys, I'm going to just continue from the beginning here, this prayer, that we be people not just who, who hear, but listen. See, it's possible to hear and, and not be moved, right? It's possible to be in proximity to Jesus and not touch him and be touched by him. We see that the, the woman in the crowd who was healed by touching Jesus, and he says, who touched me? The disciples are like, you're kidding, right? Everybody is touching everybody right now. He said, no, 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 somebody touched me. There's a difference in making contact and being in proximity and touching and being touched by Jesus in a way that transforms our lives, in a way that brings healing. It goes beyond forgiveness into helping us be whole. It's possible, just like the, the image on the screen, it's possible for sound to pass by us and not move us. My prayer is that our hearts and our minds would be attuned to the voice and the work of the Lord so that we would be in step with the Spirit. We would be responding from wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. Comparison is totally unhelpful. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. What matters is the next step that you take. The next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. And as you take that step, your heart, your capacity grows to be filled to greater measure with the love of the Father. I just had this passage on my mind um, as, I was, as I was preparing. I just want to share this and then wrap up this part of our morning. Never believe a preacher when he says that, but I'll say that. Um, Paul, so the book of Ephesians, I love the way that it kind of demonstrates it. Paul, as he writes Ephesians, demonstrates all these things about identity and then fruitfulness. Kind of how, how the book of Ephesians is broken up. This is who you are. You're a masterpiece created in the image of God for the good works. Now, chapter 4, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, right? Identity, and now live worthy, right? There's change involved. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 4, 8, that when Jesus ascended, he led a host of captives. Let a host of captives. He's, he's leading a host of captives. A bunch of people who have been in bondage. Like me, like you. He's leading us forward in grace and love by the work of his spirit within us. Jesus reclaimed the temple and cleansed it. And now he welcomes us and he's made us the temple, right? He dwells within us. And he won't share that space with anybody, with anything. So I want to 
as we just meditate on this, on this parable, I want to ask you what resonates with you from this story. Who do you identify with? And what's the Lord saying to you, okay? And then what does fruitfulness look like from, from those things, those ideas, those words? How, how's the Lord um, leading you this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're calling us unto yourself. Thank you that you're continually pouring forth your love into our hearts. And that you don't just stop at forgiveness for us, Lord. You move us on into healing and you're leading us, a host of captives, behind you, with you. And you've pointed at us and said, I'm inviting you, not because you're good enough, but because I love you. Not because of your merit, not because of what you can do, but because you are precious and I treasure you. Lord, help us to be attuned to you and be moved by you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.